Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Gail. Thanks, Matusa. Hi, everybody. My name is Gail. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Gail. And see, my absence date is January 23rd of 1998. So I have been in Overeaters Anonymous since January 21st of 1998, and I got abstinent right away, and I've maintained abstinence for uh, over 12 years. So I'm very happy to be here today. And thank you so much, Lucy, for asking me. Thank you for asking me semi-last minute so I didn't have to stress out about it for a week and a half. So that was great. The timing was really perfect. And it's funny, one of the things I've been working on um, specifically this year, because, you know, getting abstinent is hard. I think probably everyone in this room and everybody listening to this podcast knows that getting abstinent is hard. But what you may not know is staying abstinent is really hard, too. Long-term abstinence, keeping a long-term abstinence is, you know, requires work. It requires diligence. And I think there's something sometimes when, when, I see a, when I meet a concept that I don't understand, I have that thing they talk about in the big book called contempt prior to investigation. And so when I hear somebody's got 12 years of something I want that I can't get, I think, A, they're lying, and B, it's really easy. You know, well, after the first year, it must be just, pardon the pun, a piece of cake. And it's not, you know. And and every year I work on something. At my birthday, I pick, um, I used to pick a food to give up, you know, something that I'd kind of been struggling with. And after 12 years, I don't have any more foods that I need to give up. So I've actually had to give up behaviors. And, you know, I've given up behaviors or, or even or taken on behaviors like letting people get in front of me in traffic, like being a courteous driver. That was tough. And you know what? I do that today. And guess what? I'm a lot less stressed out behind the wheel. However, I also have learned how to take the bus. <laughs> because if you just can't do it, then you do something else. I, I remember a speaker saying once, if you can't eat with a fork with your family, if you want to stab people with your fork, eat with a spoon. You know? <laughs> so there are alternatives. You don't have to become white as snow and, and uh, you know, perfectly. If you can't handle the... the you know, the goodies at Starbucks, don't go to Starbucks. Make your own darn coffee. You know, you don't have to throw yourself in front of a moral dilemma and see if the 12 steps are going to work. You can kind of duck and dive. And, you know, and that's what I've learned with long-term abstinence is, like, kind of how to duck and dive and, and keep a life that's that's kind of runs itself, frankly. And there's a lot less drama. There's a lot less... Um, and, and sometimes it's kind of a lot less interesting, frankly. But, you know, well, that's what books are for. That's what movies are for. You know, I have a dull and boring life some of the time. And that's great because I know pretty much where I'm going to be tomorrow. I know exactly what I'm going to eat. And you know what? I like my abstinence. I am not one of these people who does not like their abstinence, who came in here and thought, I'm going to have to learn to eat mangoes. I don't like mangoes. I don't care if they're like the lowest calorie fruit on the planet. I don't care. I don't want one. You know, so um, I've learned to eat what I like. And, uh, and as a result of changing what I eat, I like different things now. You know, I have, when I came into Overeaters Anonymous in, in 1998, I was over 300 pounds. And I was just about 40 years old, and I was starting to have some health problems. I was, ha- I was having, in fact, back problems. My back really hurt all the time. And I didn't have high blood pressure and all that other stuff, but, um, you know, my back 
still kind of hurts a little bit today, but, you know, it hurts less today than it did when I was 39, and I'm 52. So, you know, go figure. And um, I have remedies for that, like going to the gym or going to the chiropractor or taking medications appropriately or, you know, different things. I don't immediately throw myself into a chocolate cake and blame the rest of the world for it, you know, which is what my coping mechanism used to be. It's all your fault. You don't understand, you jerks. And now, you know, one of the things that driving appropriately, too, has helped me learn is to love humanity more, you know. And, and I'll tell you something. Right before lunch and dinner, I, I have a little bit more trouble loving humanity. And it is about, <laughs> it's about dinner time right now. So <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to open it up for questions or not. But, um, you know, I still have challenges today in, in staying abstinent. And I have to work a program. So as I was saying, like, five minutes ago, well, I, I pick a new behavior every year. And the behavior that I picked um, this year is suddenly gone out of my mind. <laughs> Welcome to being 52, by the way. So, um, oh, it's about working with others and allowing, and the way with working with others is allowing people to be who they are. You know, accepting people as they are, not trying to change them. So, one of the things about being 12 years abstinent is that I have something to give to the newer, younger people that are coming into this program. And frankly, I don't like being one of the old people in Overeaters Anonymous. I want to be one of the young drama queens that comes in like, oh my God, you don't understand. This is so awful. You know, and that's really kind of what I want. I think, you know, and I think that's probably my disease talking. And this is with, you know, 12 years program here. You know, I think, I suspect that might be a disease-y kind of thing. That's not really my <laughs> higher power telling me, oh, no, the drama queens have so much fun in life. They don't, you know. People live miserable, horrible lives who come in here in tears talking about their careers. And, you know, being a young person today, and when I say young person, I mean 30 and under <laughs> talking about being 18. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to, like, you know, being going through, like, career decisions or going through college and, and having all this, you know, life is changing so fast. And, you know, and then when people look at me and say, you know, what did you do? It's like, what, I'm not 30 anymore? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like horrible news. <laughs> but, in fact, when I get with my higher power, when I get a minute to think, when I get into the reality of what my life really looks like and really feels like, because my life feels really good. I have a great life today, free of that drama most of the time. And so when someone asks me what I, what I did right after I'm done panicking, I answer and, and I have things to say that people appreciate. And that's, you know, that's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. That is a, a fulfilling feeling that is so much better than, like, trying to figure out the lie about telling somebody why you couldn't be in two places at once. When you knew when you made that second appointment that you couldn't be there. You know, putting that kind of pressure on myself was just the reason that led me to the refrigerator. And nine times out of ten, I wouldn't even make the first appointment either. I would just stay home and eat. And if you dare to call me on my behavior, I just thought you were just mean and cruel and nasty and rotten. And today, those kind of things don't happen to me anymore. But letting people be who they are is a big challenge. Um, live and let live is hard, and it's, it sounds hard, and it's even harder. But as I um, you know, stay abstinent year after year, I realize that it's true. Everything in that big book is true. Every single thing 
that that big book says is true, except for the fact about having a little bit of candy to take the edge off. <laughs> it's not so true. But everything else in that book is true. <laughs> and working with others is absolutely mandatory. It's absolutely, for me to keep it going, I, for me to keep it alive, I have to be reminded by some fresh-faced kids that got tears, again, some fresh-faced 30-year-old kid who's got tears running down her face that, you know what, I have something to offer you. I can help you. And yeah, I'd rather be 30, but guess what? I'm actually 52. And, and I have to live in that reality as much as I would rather pretend that, you know what, I'm actually not fat. I'm really thin, so I can eat anything I want and not gain weight because I don't get on a scale. <laughs> I'm not gaining weight. That dry cleaner is shrinking my clothes again, that bastard. And, you know, I just lie and lie and lie to myself all the time, every day. And, and that's what I have this program for, is to keep me honest. So today... I do service, and service is challenging. I do intergroup service, and intergroup service is challenging. And in fact, there is an um, article in the 12-stepper about what each of our, um, the, the people on the board have, have gotten out of that challenging service. And the thing that I got out of that challenging service is that I am not alone. I am not the only person, Overeaters Anonymous, with over 10 years abstinence. How many people here have over 10 years abstinence? Raise your hand. You see, there's a, there's a number of people here. So, by the way, about four people raised their hands. And, um, you know, there are other people besides me that have it. And, and there are requirements to be on the L.A. board that require a year abstinence. So every time I walk into that room, I know I'm with other people that, A, have as much abstinence as I do, and, B, have as much of a commitment to OA as I do. You know, because sometimes I get frustrated when I, when I look around and we have events and people don't show up and I ask for volunteers and nobody comes and everybody's home, you know, working on their fourth step and making their amends and doesn't have time to actually participate in outside activities. And, you know, that's my, that's my dramatic interpretation of what happens, by the way. That's not actually what happens because people do show up and things do get done with or without me. And, um, but, you know, it does get a little bit of frustrating and I do feel kind of alone. And that's my disease wiggling in, getting ready to tell me, oh, what's the use? Why not just eat anyway? You know, because you all, again, getting back to you all stink. You know, you all, you know, it's you that are the problem. I am perfectly fine. And, you know, I have learned to love myself at 300 pounds. <laughs> the thing that got me into this room is that very adage that, um, you know, I was already in a, I was in a 12-step program. I was 300 pounds. I was wearing size double X or triple X sweatpants. I can't quite remember. I was working freelance as a writer for this little local paper, hardly making any money at all, and also doing some medical billing and another thing where I didn't have to dress up and go anywhere. And, you know, I was wearing these sweatpants, and, you know, I had the good sweatpants and <laughs> sweatpants. And, and one New Year's Day, you know, I thought right around Christmas time, I thought, you know, I'm going to buy myself a pair of jeans. I'm going to buy myself a pair of jeans that fit. And it's going to be okay no matter what the size is because I'm going to go in there with a loving attitude. And I went into that fat girl store and I came out with size 28 jeans and it was not okay. It was just not. Size 28 jeans are not okay. And I, I was horrified and I went up to a woman who would uh, consistently share with me at this other 12-step meeting how, you know, I'm in OA. And I would be like, why are you telling me this? Why Aren't I happy, joyous, and free in my size triple X sweatpants? What's wrong with you? Why do you keep bringing that up? And I clearly don't have a problem. And I went up to that woman that day or the, the next day and I said, I have a problem. And <laughs> the rest, as they say, is history. Because one of the things that I've learned, and one of the things that she taught me, her name was Rosemary B., and um, she's since moved up to Reno, and so we don't stay in touch very much. 
But, um, you know, she was a tough cookie. Important. Okay, point of you know, she believed in having a food plan. I called my food in every day. The day I got absence, I called in my food. The next day, I called in my food. The next day after that, I called in my food. I called in my food every friggin' day for over seven years. And then after seven years, I realized I kind of knew how to eat, and I didn't have to call my food every day anymore. So, um, and actually, I started realizing that I was, plan- I was spending more time planning my food <laughs> than was probably appropriate, and that perhaps after seven years of absent eating and losing that 100 pounds and maintaining a, a reasonable body weight, which, by the way, happens to be about 205 pounds. I go between 205 and 210 pounds. And so I'm not a skinny, mini little thing that's, you know, walking around maintaining a, a you know, a size 8. I'm not. I, I'm maintaining about a size 14, probably getting into a 16, thanks to, um, you know, and I eat the same. It really is thanks to aging. <laughs> aging is a pain in the neck. But anyway, I get to... Um, I get to have normal problems like normal 50-year-old women like the other women in my office are having that same problem. It's like, oh my God, you know, how do you, how do you diet after you've lost 100 pounds? I don't know how to lose 10 pounds. I know how to lose 100 pounds. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do. So I just accept the way I am. I do the best I can day by day and I leave, I leave my food up to God to a degree within the structure that I learned, you know, within these, you know, ten, after these seven years of writing down that, that thing every day. So I, I kind of let that go, and I didn't gain a million pounds, which was a, a actual spirit, actually kind of a bit of a spiritual experience. So, but I do keep a food plan. I still know what I'm going to eat every day, by the way. I know what I'm having for dinner right now. You know, because if I didn't know what I was having for dinner right now, and I'm sitting here a little bit hungry, I wouldn't be able to make any sense. And I don't know if I am actually making sense or not. <laughs> I kind of assume I am, since people are nodding occasionally. But, you know, when, when I get hungry and I don't know what I'm eating, it's, it's, a, it's a problem. It's just a problem because that's all I think about is what am I having next? What am I having next? And when I know what I'm having next, it's not a problem anymore. So, um, so as I said, I went to that, that fat girl store and got those size 28 jeans, and it was just not okay. And I went up to Rosemary. I told her I had a problem, and I started going to um, a meeting once a week. <laughs> I was unemployed, practically. Like I said, I had this little crappy job with the newspaper that I was barely making any money. And I, I don't even think I was doing medical billing yet, to tell you the truth. I think I was actually kind of unemployed. And it's like, I can't go to a meeting once a week. What is That's crazy crazy talk I'm telling you so I went to this meeting once a week and now today I actually go to two meetings a week which sometimes three which is kind of challenging for me because I do as I said have another program where I go to three meetings a week as well but I can't go to that meeting to get this recovery people in that meeting don't understand what it's like to be a compulsive overeater so again getting back to being old and being a mentor being an unwilling mentor frankly you know, I, I really, you know, when these, you know, little, you know, these, especially, you know, the anorexic and bulimics, it's so painful. Today's compulsive overeater, my God, there's so many uh, horrible things out there, and people are, like, picking themselves, you know, scratching themselves and cutting themselves, and the new drugs out there, and the doctors who are... You know, ripping out people's stomachs. It's like, oh my God, you know, the solutions out there that make sense to what that, that made sense to this 30 year old. Thank God they didn't have stomach surgery when I was 30 years old. I would have been right there. Hey, take it out. Woohoo. You know, perfect. You know, not an issue anymore. So when these, you know, people ask me tearfully, you know, what can you do? And I, I actually find myself having something to say to them. It's a bit, more intimate than I'm comfortable with, frankly. You know, I don't have any children. I've never been married. My family, um, I, I don't have much of a family. And so to, to, to be kind of responsible for that kind of information to somebody is, is just a little, 
it's, it's scary for me. I don't want to be that person. But the fact is that I have 12 years of experience, that I have to be that person whether I like it or not. And that's almost what the big book says. I mean, the big book doesn't actually say that. It actually kind of says that more in the 12 and 12 because the 12 and 12 was written five years after, you know, the big book came into fruition or, or more. So it, it's got a little bit more mature um, bend on what recovery looks like and recovery looks like giving service to people and that service means giving them what they ask for not what I think they should have you know so when somebody asks me what I think they should do about this this or this I have to answer that question I don't get to tell them my big dramatic story about the fat girl store you know especially if I'm working with a bulimic or an anorexic you know no, size 28 who cares you, you know that's like unfathomable to them you know but I do get to talk about you know one day at a time I do get to talk about the comfort of having that meal plan of knowing you know not having any questions of, of when in doubt leave it out you know different little tricks and strategies you know we talk a lot in in uh, 12-step programs about God and God works. I mean, it is absolutely a miracle that I am the size that I am today. Even at two, And I think I'm, I'm still over 200 pounds, you know. <laughs> I, I don't qualify. And I've been over 200 pounds my whole abstinence. Like, I think I got down to 173 once when I was, like, I had the, the threat. <laughs> I call it the sword of Damascus, and actually it's the sword of Damocles. <laughs> I was corrected once <laughs> in my Greek mythology. <laughs> um, that I had the... the um, I had a surgery. I had a, a big surgery to my, uh, to my ankle, and I was going to be on crutches. And I was working out with a trainer twice a week, and I was going to Pilates for physical therapy, and I was doing all this work, and I got down to 173 for a minute and a half. And you know what? It was just more than I'm willing to do. You know, I like to have my life in between, too. So 205 is 205. So, so that's where I live most of my abstinence. And, you know, I still think that's too fat. But I, it doesn't, what I've learned, too, is it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God thinks. And, you know, nobody, like, looks at me when I'm walking down the street or calls me fat. I mean, people used to call me names out of their cars. In fact, I remember when I was early in abstinence, and I was driving home from a meeting in Santa Monica, and I was driving down Broadway, and there was, like, this homeless guy crossing the middle of an empty street right in front of me, right? It's like, what, you can't wait till I'm the only car on the block. You, you know, Jesus Christ, like, get out of my way. And he turns around and he says, you're fat. And I said, no, I'm not. And I meant it. And it was like, oh, my God, it's true. You know, I'm not, you're a big, whatever. Probably didn't say pig, but something, you know, big, fat, big. And I thought, no, I'm not. And it was true. You know, it was true. So at 205 pounds, I'm not a big, fat pig. And, you know, I'm not Lindsay Lohan. But you know what? Talking about drama, I don't want to be Lindsay Lohan, by the way. If I had a choice, I would pick my life over Lindsay Lohan. And that is a miracle. That getting back to God, that is God working in my life. Because if you had asked me that when I was 30 years old, no, I'd rather much be Lindsay Lohan. She's having so much fun. Isn't it fun going to jail? Her in Paris. Quite fun. You know? Me, I get to go home to my boring little house. And it's like, I'll take my boring little house anytime. Again, getting back to this this unwilling mentorship that I've, I've learned, I've taken on as, um, as a, um, an aspect of my recovery because I have to take on challenging things too. I can't take on something that's that easy. And as I said, you know, staying abstinent is hard. So I have to trust my higher power to put things in front of me that I am up to that challenge. You know, when God asks me, when, when this board, in, in fact, talking about um, internet group service, when this um, board position opened up, I thought to myself, I don't want to, you know, it, it, it ha- you know, there was an announcement made, I thought to myself, I can do this, 
and, and I, the louder voice said, yeah, I don't want to. And it doesn't matter whether I want to. You know, what matters is that I have the, the requirements. You know, I can fulfill the requirements. I have the time. And I was kind of looking for something anyway. I was, uh, you know, either grow or you go. And I, and I go, I grow every year. I grow a little bit more. So, um, what I get to do is to answer the call of what's requested of me, not what I want to do. And one of the things that's been happening lately is the media is giving some attention to, um, to Overeaters Anonymous and, and like fat people in general in a way that is kind of, you, you know, I, I, and, and as a person, I have an opinion, right? But as a board member, I don't. We don't have opinions on outside issues in Overeaters Anonymous, so we don't have a position about this. You get to do whatever you want to do. But so I, now I have to struggle with how is that being authentic and how is that being rigorously honest? And does it mean being honest mean that I have to tell you what I think? No, that is not what rigorous. And I get to tell the new girls that too, by the way. <laughs> no, that is not rigorously honest. You don't have to stand up and tell everybody. Oh, my father beat me when I was five. Yeah, whatever. You know what they're asking you? Do you want fries with that? <laughs> you know, no, I'll have the sliced tomatoes, thank you. you. You know, that's the appropriate answer. Not my father beat me when I was five. Whatever. So um, so this thing about this this media attention, and I am now the public information officer for um, Overeaters Anonymous, the LA group of Overeaters Anonymous. So I have an opinion about that, a personal opinion, but as a, a board member, I don't have an opinion. But So I've been struggling with that and <laughs> and thinking... Various things. And so one of the TV shows is not one of my favorite shows. Like, I'm not a big sitcom fan, blah, 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 blah. But then, so I have this other TV show that I love, and it's called Mad Men. And I haven't been watching it because I turn my TV off in the summer. So I've been running over to my girlfriend's house to watch it. <laughs> so I caught up on Sunday. Uh, what was it? No, on Thursday we went over and we watched two of them. And there was this joke about Alcoholics Anonymous. Like the guy said, oh, don't talk to them. They're an Alcoholics Anonymous. And their stories start out funny, but then they wind up crying. And I thought, oh, my God, that was so funny. Right? <laughs> oh, isn't that charming? Isn't that wonderful? And I was like, oh, my God, that's a great and anonymity. So, you know what? I don't get to say, like, one TV show stinks and the other one's okay. You know, because clearly I have a perception problem. And I don't have an opinion on either one. You know, and nobody's going to edit it out if I ask them to anyway, by the way. So, I got to, you know, look at my opinion and how my opinion is subjective. And that's the interesting thing about um, 12-step work and especially about Overeaters Anonymous. So today I was doing some service and I got to drive somebody home. And she was a 30-something-year-old girl. And one of the things she said to me, and it was, again, one of those moments of this, this mentorship that I wish I, I, didn't, I don't really want. But she said to me, I remember you from when I was here seven years ago. And I thought, Wow. And she hasn't stayed, you know, she's been in and out. But um, it, she said, I remember your face. And it's like, oh, I had red hair back then. I wasn't salt and pepper like I am now. <laughs> but she remembered me. And it was, it was nice to be remembered. You know, it was nice to know that I just show up, even if I'm not. Because seven years ago, I wasn't active on board service. You know, I wasn't, you know, committed to, to doing things for other people. I was, you know, self-involved, perhaps. And so, but I was still showing up at the rooms and I was still contributing something. So while I'm trying to give a little bit of a pitch for getting involved in the OA, uh, you know, service level, because it is very fulfilling and it is a, it is a requirement in the big book. I mean, you've got to do it if you want to stay. If you want to stick and stay, there's things you have to do. And one of the things you have to do is give it away. But if all you're able to do is show up at meetings consistently, that's fine, too. It's not for me to tell.
tell you what to do. It's not for me to say, you know what, this is a funny reference to a 12-step program, and this is an inappropriate reference to Overeaters Anonymous. You know, one doesn't, it doesn't, my opinion, oh my God, doesn't matter. (laughs) And you know what, without God, I can't handle that bit of information. You know, without, if I, my opinion doesn't matter. How is that possible? It's like, you know why? Because God loves me. And it sounds kind of stupid and it sounds kind of corny, but it's true. You know, my opinion doesn't matter. God has something better in mind for me. And, and I just have to follow his path and do what he puts in front of me. So I do that today. And, and so I've been kind of sitting on this resentment about these TV shows about different things. And then when I saw that moment, and I, I, I thought, wow, you know what? I don't have to do anything, even though I'm a member of the intergroup. And, I, and in fact, my position kind of dictates that I don't do anything about it other than prepare for some information, maybe arm ourselves with the facts, you know? So I was thinking about that, too. So, um, so I'm, I'm putting together a committee, and, and I'm asking for volunteers, if anybody's interested, and it's in the 12-stepper to give appropriate information if people come and ask, what is Overeaters Anonymous about? Is it like those TV things say, or is it different? You know, I have some tools. I have an answer to give them. I have someone, you know, they have an event. I have a a speaker I can send, or, you know, they're having a um, health fair. We can, you know, bring some literature. You know, we can disseminate the appropriate information, and that's all I have to do. And that's plenty. Believe me. You know, just disseminating accurate information is plenty to do. So I remember I was thinking that, um, you know, trying to keep myself sane as I was wigging out about, oh my God, this is, a, this is a disaster. You know, I'm trying to remember, okay, we're armed with the facts. And I thought, you know, I have a tendency to misquote the big book. And so uh, let me look at the big book and see, and actually that's not what I said, that's a big lie. I, ha- I do have the tendency to quote the big book, uh, to misquote the big book, that's true. But I wasn't home going through it. I actually wound up going to a big book study where I just had this craving like to get to a big book study because I mostly study the 12 and 12 these days. And I hadn't been to a big book study for a while. And so I went to this big book study and sure enough, they're reading chapter two, which says, armed with the facts. It's, it, that's the paragraph that it talks about. And what it actually says is armed with the facts about ourselves. Oh. <laughs> Not armed with the facts about what you're doing. And who are you working for? And what's your opinion of that? And aren't you available? And what service have you given? No, those are not the facts I need to be armed with. I need to be armed with the facts about myself that I think it's okay when Mad Men does it, but I don't think it's okay when CBS News does it. Huh. Who am I to say? So it's being armed with the facts about myself. And without God, that is also impossible. Because, you know, this is going to come as a shock to people, especially those who have known me for a while, that I am not a perfect human being. And frankly, that is more than I can stand. It's more than I can bear. And, and it's true. And that's what I ate over. So I had two choices. And it talks about this in, in, the chapter, in the second chapter of the big book, too about, you know, I had the choice to um, go to a, on a spiritual path or, you know, die an insane death. <laughs> and again, par- misparaphrasing nonetheless. But you know what? I don't want to die in a, an insane compulsive overeater. And I certainly don't want to live as an insane compulsive overeater because one of the things my sponsor reminds me of all the time is that people go out and they live for a long, long time. 
and I don't want to live in that hell where I had to figure out how to lie and hide. You know, how I had to convince you that I really wasn't fat at 300 pounds, that I was perfectly okay in a size 28 jean, you know, and that if you didn't like me because if I was being mean to you and you didn't like me, because my behavior was being inappropriate, I was sure it was because you were fat prejudiced. You know, and that's, that's my regular way of being. I am not one who is naturally armed with the facts about myself, and I am not one who is willing to admit that I'm an imperfect human being. And because of this program, I have been able to learn all that. And not only have I been learned to, able to learn that and learn to cope with it, but despite all that, I get to give something back. You know, and when that girl said to me today, you know, that I remember you from seven years ago, like that was that was really cool. You know, now conversely, I was working with um, I'm not a very good sponsor. I I don't know why. (laughs) Probably because I try to shove my program down people's throats and I don't let them find their own path like my sponsor did, who was like I said, she was tough. She was a tough cookie, but she let me find my own path. And and, um, you know, I have problems with that. So today I work at listening for what you're asking me and answering that question rather than telling you, you know what, you really got to break up with that guy or you really should get a better job or da-da-da-da. Because you know what, I have no experience about your relationship. I have no experience about your job. And I don't get to tell people that. If it's not in the big book, I don't get to tell people what to do. You know, I get to tell people what big book page to read <laughs> and, and figure it out for themselves. And you know what, I get to be an open channel for them to come back time after time with their failures. And, and you know, that's, that's not easy for me. So I was working with a girl um, who I really liked, and, and it turns out that she decided that she wanted someone with a bulimic background because she was bulimic, and I don't have a bulimic background. And what I got to do was take her at her word when she said, it's not about you, it's that I just prefer someone with different experience. That it, and this was as close to, a, again, this is like an intimate rejection, you know. As this is, and, and you know what? It's just the truth. And I wish her well. And I was working with another person, too, who's been out of the program, and now I understand that they're back. And our friendship has dwindled. And you know what? When people are eating, they don't want to talk to people who are in recovery. You know? It's just the way it is. And I felt kind of slighted. Um, And and so this this guy's back, and, and I really do wish him well. You know, even though I have that resentment that our friendship didn't survive, his, his abstinence break, which is asking too much, by the way. It's sort of like asking to be able to eat a box of Oreo cookies every night and not gain any weight. That's the same kind of thing. Like, can I have someone who goes out of program and still maintain an intimate friendship with them? Probably not. Not, not when it was born here. You, you know what I mean? It's, it's just, I don't know. I haven't had that experience. Maybe other people have. But I still, what I get to do is wish him well. And that's the kind of work that I do today. After 12 years of being in program, of wishing someone that I kind of, you know, I would love. My favorite thing to do is say, I told you so. <laughs> you know, I have the three little words that this girl longs to hear is you are right. You know, love, love, I love you, whatever. I am right, I'm right, woohoo. So, you know, when someone goes out because they didn't do what I said, it's almost there's a part of me, and, and this is like the scummy, skizzy part, that's like, you see, I told you. I told you so. And, you know, this is the part that I am open. What the 12 steps have taught me is you take that part of yourself and you bring it out. You bring it to a meeting and you, tell, you look people in the eye and you let them know that, guess what? I have this scuzzy side of my personality. And they look at me like, no kidding, <laughs> you know, or me too. 
or you know thanks for sh- thanks for having the courage to share that how about that how about when you're like shaking in your boots and you get up and someone comes up afterwards and says thanks so much I really related to that I'm like wow you know I kind of have the power to do that from time to time and the only time I have the power to do that is when I am aligned with my God's higher power when I think I have the power to do that, when I think I have the power to run some young girl's life, it's like, no, I'm surely going to, you know, <laughs> I'm surely going to give her wrong information. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be helpful. And what the big book says specifically is that we try to be helpful. That's all I have to do. You know, I don't have to save anybody's life. I don't have to lose your 50 pounds. I don't have to help you maintain. All I have to do is to tell you as honestly as I can what I did. And you know what? Sometimes I lie. Sometimes I still lie, kind of almost accidentally, and sometimes on purpose, (laughs) to be frank. But, you know, I mean, sometimes I'll find myself saying things like, oh, my God, that isn't even true. And I get to clean it up. Or I get to amend my behavior. And that's the great thing about, uh, about Overeaters Anonymous is I have learned to amend my behavior one day at a time with God's help. So thank you very much for asking me. <laughs>